All right, we're going to talk to Richard and Carol, and then you. Good morning, Richard. Good foggy morning to you, Bob. <laughs> yes, it is foggy out there. <laughs> well, I had a comment and then a question. Yes, sir. Um, I've always prided myself in organic gardening, and so after listening to you over the past several months, um, I want to compliment you on how easy you make it sound, and you've really uh, reinforced um, that with education, all things can be um, organic when it comes to the garden. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. And it really just keeps getting easier and easier and easier. No, life keeps getting busier somehow. And uh, I just find with organics, I, I spend less time doing physical work in the garden and have fewer problems to deal with. And unlike some folks who sit up in their ivory towers and broadcast and talk about what they've read in books, I'm out there doing this. I work every day in the nursery business. My own garden feeds a lot of people. And, you know, after a lot of years, I still love what I do and look forward to getting out there every morning. So I'm I'm glad you're following the same path, and I hope you get as much pleasure out of it as I do. Yeah, and we enjoy hearing from you. So I, I set that up because um, upon the gardening side, I try to do everything organic, but I guess I'm a little bit too OCD when it comes to my yard. And okay. so um, I'm having to test my patience a little bit, so hopefully I can get to 100% organic. But I wanted to get your opinion on pre-emergent herbicides. And so I, I think I know how you'll respond to them in general and try to use maybe something organic, but more the biology of I try to put a lot of organic material onto my yard, mm-hmm. but I also don't like weeds, and so um, haven't had as many meal, for example. <laughs> well, if but you if you want an hour, yeah, if you want an hour long lecture, come on over to Shades of Green this morning. That's my free seminar at nine forty five. is all about weeds and fertilizers and things like that. And and so before I get to the the biology of how pre emergence work, uh, you're always going to almost always just going to have to expect a few weeds because what happens, Mother Nature wants as much life growing out there as possible. And so there have been a lot of little green plants evolved that can take a freeze and yet grow robustly. Uh, and these include things like the henbit, like the dandelions, like the Texas wintergrass, which are the big three that we're fighting right now. And our basic turf grasses uh, St. Augustine, Bermuda, Zoysia, and then our natives like buffalo and things like that, they don't start growing until the weather starts getting a little bit warmer. So Mother Nature sends in all this green stuff to come up, you know, grow before our basic turf grasses start to grow. So it would be a real unusual time if you didn't have at least some green weeds. Now, sure. um there are natural pre-emergence uh, compost uh, and some of the things that are in the compost, the humic acids, the fulvic acids, they act as natural pre-emergence that actually affect the seeds and keep them from growing. I was talking to one of the guys that works for us. And uh, he was saying, and and Jerry is religious about putting compost on every year, and he says he has, you know, no green weed sprouting whatsoever. And I know it's just because of the the things like the humic acids, fulvic acids, and all that are in the compost. But in general, the way that that pre-emergence work, there are actually two types. Um, the and there is a natural one called corn gluten meal that works by keeping the little seedling from forming a root system when the seed sprouts. Um, corn gluten meal and many other pre-emergents do not, uh, in effect, kill the seed. But when the seed 
sprouts, germinates, and starts to grow, they prevent it from forming a root system, and in dry weather, your little weed just shrivels and dies because it can't live long without a root system. A year like this, those pre-emergence aren't going to work at all because when you've got foggy mornings, when you've got this much moisture in the air, those little plants can sit there for two or three weeks without a root system. They really don't suffer much, and the pre-emergence break down and, um, you know, first thing you know, you've got these weeds taking root and growing anyway. So that's one type. Some of the others, um, they actually set up like a gas barrier on the surface of the soil. And the little uh, uh, weeds are, are burned back when they try to come through that. But uh, many, in fact, most of the pre-emergence just don't work in a year like this. The other problem is things like your grass burrs, which are probably the most hated weed out there. And uh, they germinate anywhere from late March all the way through September. And so whether you're using a chemical or a natural pre-emergence, you'd have to put that stuff down five or six times during the season to really stop them. So uh, what 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 is your basic grass? Do you have St. Augustine or Bermuda or what sort of grass it's do you have? Bermuda. It's Bermuda. Bermuda. See, here's the nice thing about Bermuda grass. Typically, by late January at least, most of these little green weeds uh, that are going to come up and, and drive you crazy, um, they have already sprouted. Bermuda grass is still brown. I mean, Bermuda right. grass browns out with first frost. You can go in there with a safe product like your orange oil vinegar mix and just go through and spray lightly just coat the leaves of all those little green things coming up and they will flat die normally within 30 minutes you'll see the results and but because your bermuda grass is is still dormant and brown uh it's not affected by the vinegar and orange oil at all same thing's true of zoysia in a colder winter when our saint augustine browns out you can do the same thing there the problem comes for folks with St. Augustine lawns because, you know, their their St. Augustine never really goes fully brown. But a grass like sure. Bermuda that turns brown, you can get out there once, maybe twice, and uh, kill every weed before it comes up and have that, uh, have that perfect yard of the month yard. So you don't really need um, to worry about pre-emergence. The post-emergence, which is what your orange oil and vinegar is, is going to work just as well. The other bad thing about both the broadleaf weed killers and the pre-emergence, um, the, many of them have been shown definitively to cause cancer, especially in you know dogs and other animals that don't wear shoes and just absorb it through the pads on their feet. And uh, some, of the, you know, some of the worst pollution that we have across the country uh, is caused by the products that are put into several of the weed and feed uh, products. And uh, it just... Uh, Anybody who really knows environmental issues, knows much about amphibians in particular. I mean, they've got places in Florida where they've used so much of this sure. stuff, they've basically messed up. Because because many of these products are like a synthetic estrogen, and you'll end up with sensitive uh, species like most of your amphibians. You end up with totally female populations. There are no male toads, no male frogs out there. And then that just starts throwing a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of other things out of balance. So, yeah, I don't, I don't like them. I don't find them really to be necessary. And um, <laughs> I guess maybe I'm just a, a little willing to put up with a little bit of green, 
you know, in the yard that, uh, because the other thing about all these, these three basic weeds that you're looking at right now, they're all going to die as soon as the weather gets hot anyway. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, no, you're definitely reinforcing and I, I, perhaps I just need to have some more tolerance. The, the biology part of the question would be, I don't put synthetics on, I all organic compost yeah. and then with the growing green, but you talked about synthetic fertilizers, how they burn up the microbes. Do, do, when I put, if I were to put out like a, a pre-emergent, like consciously, I guess, like uh, chemical, would that do anything to the biology of the soil in regards to the microbes that I'm basically reinforcing by putting compost out? It depends on which ones you use. Now, if you use the oh, corn, like the, the corn gluten meal is, uh, is a natural pre-emergent that works pretty much as well as the others, and it will have no effect at all on the on your microbes. Um, and it will not have any effect at all on your other plants. That's the other thing I should mention about the most of the synthetic pre-emergence is they see, an, and the post-emergence, your selective post-emergence, they see trees and shrubs as basically big weeds. And so, yes, they impact the microbial life in the soil, and they will do perhaps not noticeable damage, but it accumulates over the years. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that uh, they can make your plants more susceptible to other disease problems. So, yes, it would have some impact. Is it going to be as bad as uh, synthetic nitrogen fertilizers? Probably not. But uh, it very definitely will, will impact at least some of the species of microbes that we're trying to build up in the soil. Makes sense, Bob. I appreciate your insight. And again, the vinegar and orange oil, I mean, I doubt your Bermuda's starting to uh, to turn green yet. You could get out there as soon as it dries off today and wipe out every patch of green in your yard without leaving any residue and without causing any long-term impacts and certainly accomplish what you're trying to do. Yeah, the one I'm fighting right now is like a kind of like a winter Augustine. It doesn't have a root system like Augustine, but it has uh-huh. a, like a quarter-inch broad or a leaf uh, grassy type it almost looks like augustine it's just kind of wavy so that's one i'm I'm kind of fighting right now so well give it you know mix up just small amount of vinegar and orange oil try spraying it i think you'll find that'll knock it out completely and won't do any damage at all thanks for your help bob it's always a pleasure i sure appreciate the call richard thank you sir all right goodbye all right let's go ahead and talk to carol good morning carol good morning bob good morning Cherry tomatoes again this year. I have three cherry tomato plants, six to eight inches high and four inch pots. I just can't remember when to plant them. What is your best guess for planting (laughs) this year? I I know. (laughs) You know, I worked worked with a wonderful gentleman up in the hill country, one of my mentors, one of my heroes. He was at one point given uh, six months to live with cancer, and he only lived another 35 years. But uh, people would come in and say, Alton, when's it going to freeze? And it would say, when it gets to 32. <laughs> and so, so you plant those plants uh, just as soon as you're through. We're not going to sure. As soon as you're sure, we're not going to have any more freezing weather. Now, here here's the one thing about it. Tomatoes, you can protect them. If you want to go ahead and plant them out, uh, just be sure you have a little bit of a floating row cover or something so that you know, you could protect them if we, you know, if we do have another frost. And we can have frost when it's 38 degrees, and the forecast is for mm-hmm. me to have 38 degrees in Bernie tonight. We're going to chill down substantially today. So I haven't planted mine yet, but when I do, 
you know, I go ahead and put the tomato cages over them, and then I'll take right. my favorite of the pre of the uh, the floating row covers is this one called Insulate, and I will mm-hmm. wrap a strip of it around the base of the cage, and then I'll make a little mm-hmm. you know top over it that I can put on and off very quickly with clothespins. And okay. when I'm doing that, if you are willing to do that, I will tell you that you are probably safe to plant your tomato plants right now. But um, uh, again, the old timers say uh, that if it, <laughs> I used to hear this all the time when we, when I worked for a nursery in the hill country, that say, oh, you know, if it, if it thunders in January, it's going to freeze in April. And I've seen a freeze, oh, yeah. I've seen a freeze in San Antonio on April 4th, but uh, we had thunder twice in January. So um, just go ahead and plant them. They're cheap. If they freeze and you have to plant them again, you're out, you know, less than a, cup of fancy coffee costs so uh uh it's up to you but i if i were planting them this early i very definitely would be prepared to protect them anytime there's a possibility of frost i can protect them but i'm thinking maybe i'll wait a while and and if i do should i transplant them into larger pots if it's not a yeah if it's not a problem for you to dig the hole i move them up to gallon cans unfortunately there are a lot of people listen that you know digging a four inch uh, uh, hole for a four inch plants a whole lot easier than digging a hole for a gallon can so that's Mm. up to you um I, if you replant them, maybe split the difference. You can get what they call a quart container that's about a, maybe a five-inch pot. And when you replant your little plants, you know, plant them deeply. Uh, the, uh, the tomato plant can grow roots all the way up and down the stem. It's one plant that can go in the ground much deeper uh, than, you know, than we can ever do with a woody shrub. But uh, it's uh, you and everybody else, we're fighting the same thing. We're all so anxious to get things started in the garden. But um, again, for me, I, I'm not going to go to the trouble of trying to dig a hole for a gallon container. I'm going to go ahead and plant them, uh, wrap some insulate around the base of the cage, which really helps with wind as well as with right. cold. And then I'll just, mm-hmm. you know, I can go through enough. I've got 20 plants out there. It's going to take me five minutes to go through there. And, and what I do with that little square that goes over the top, uh, mm-hmm. I just, I do use four clothespins. And I'll just right. take two of them okay. off, fold it back, and then I can just flip them over there and put them back on. And it's a pain in the behind to have to do but you know you also get the first tomatoes on the block and those bragging rights are worth a lot all right okay one thing i think i remember you saying is when the tomatoes are planted go ahead and plant them plant those first two leaves on the bottom you can put those in the dirt right you can well i actually pinch them off but you can plant a tomato Ah, plant deeper because it okay. will grow roots all the way up and down the stem. The other thing, if you really want to increase your production, put a handful of rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole. Oh, and that's been, oh I do that. Yeah. I do that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, a little bit I of Epsom salts on that. the top. Absolutely. And my vegetable seminar is next Saturday. Today is all about weeds and fertilizer and getting past winter. But uh, my seminar next Saturday is uh, all about veggies. Uh, free of charge. Come on over and let me... Let me teach you all the things that I've learned over the years if, you, if you've if got a little free time. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. You're missing a chance. Michelle is the only person I have waiting. Uh, three open lines waiting for you. 210-599-5555. While I say good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? 
I'm great. Good. I have. I live in Seguin. Uh huh. And my front yard is almost border to border clover. Okay. How do? What's the best way to get rid of it other than just pulling it up by the roots? Well, that's not going to do that much good because you'll never get all the roots, and you've got plenty of seed out there. Clover is telling you something, and that is that your soil is probably a little compacted and that it is, you know, probably very deficient in nutrients. Clover is what we call a legume, and it actually can penetrate soil that is, you know, too hard for most turf grass roots to penetrate, and clover actually feeds the soil. You've got little nodules on the roots which are able to take nitrogen from the air and turn it into fertilizer. So Mother Nature is sending you a signal that, you know, hey, you're, you're, soil needs some help and i wouldn't worry too terribly much about it it's going to die out as soon as the weather gets hot it's just that our turf grasses haven't started growing yet now having said that what what is your basic grass what's down underneath all the clover um bermuda okay right now you can your bermuda is still brown bermuda browned out with that frost all the way back in october and it hasn't really started growing yet so if you want to kill that clover back um you can make uh, the straight spray mixture it's one gallon of strong vinegar and add to that two ounces of orange oil and just a little squirted dish soap uh, don't do it while it's so foggy and misty like it is this morning because you don't want to dilute it down. But as soon as it dries out this afternoon, you can get that out and just spray it everywhere you have the clover. It will burn the clover back without causing any damage whatsoever to your Bermuda grass. And it may be another 30 days before the Bermuda really starts growing because Bermuda doesn't just like it warm. It likes it hot. And uh, I know I've been working in flower beds and things, and uh, I'm pulling up some Bermuda that has, you know, inched its way into those beds. And I'm seeing virtually no green growth at all on the Bermuda at this point. So uh, if you want to kill the clover back, you can certainly do so. But you'll accomplish basically the same thing if you just set your lawnmower down pretty low and just go mow it off two or three times. And as like I say, as soon as your Bermuda grass starts coming out, it's going to dominate um, I would be putting out a good organic fertilizer this time of year. They're slow release rather than fast release, so you're not really feeding the weeds. You're going to be feeding your Bermuda and encouraging its growth. But um, uh, that that's how I would deal with it. Now, they make some poisonous, what they call broadleaf weed killers that you can spray out there that will kill it, but they will badly impact your shrubs, and they are known cancer causers for pets and things like that. So if I'm really intent on killing it, I'm going to use vinegar and orange oil. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to mow it off and, uh, you know, leave town for two weeks, and the Bermuda will be greening up by the time I get back, and the problem will be gone. So if I mow it off, will it continue to feed the soil? Oh, yeah. What it needs? Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's going to probably put on a little bit more green leaves, but uh, yes, those uh, the it's actually the bacteria that form these little nodules on the roots of the clover that have the remarkable ability to uh, take nitrogen out of the air and turn it into fertilizer. Our our forefathers didn't know how it worked, but you know if you if you remember the, <laughs> the what we all learned in grade school about how uh, the early 
peoples would alternate planting beans and corn. Beans are the legume. They're building a soil. Corn is the taker that takes it away. And even though they didn't know what they were doing, they were using the same basic process. They were planting a legume that would, uh, you know, build the soil and then planting a different crop that, you know, stole a lot of what the legume had put into the soil. I also love the, the story that Malcolm Beck told me about himself one time. And, uh, he had, uh, uh, a real tall growing clover called hubam clover he and the seeds fairly expensive on that stuff he planted it and it grew six feet tall and i think he probably was exaggerating a little bit but man he got dollar signs in his eyes and he said oh man i'm going to be harvesting seed i'm going to make a fortune selling hubam clover seed and a wise older person said malcolm this is the only time you're going to get a good crop of this clover And sure enough, the next year, he planted the same thing, and it only grew six inches tall because uh, it had built the soil that much in one year's time that it just simply couldn't grow nearly as well the following year. So, yeah, it's it's a good thing. And we've all been conditioned that, you know, a weed means we're a failure. And it's just... It's just Mother Nature's way of building the soil. And believe me, your your Bermuda will actually do better this summer for having had the clover in there in the spring. Oh, okay. I'll just leave it alone then. Yeah, just mow it if you have the time and energy after it cools off, and uh, or after it dries off, rather. But uh, uh, this sure doesn't call for any heroic efforts on your part. Your, your Bermuda's not suffering because the clover's there. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the call. You have a good day, and thank you, Michelle. You too. Goodbye. All right. Back to the call. It's going to be Sue and Kevin and Teresa, and Sue's up first. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Good morning. so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, We are getting ready to till our uh, very long side garden. Um, We have nothing in there right now except a bunch of weeds, and we have killed them with the vinegar um, oil mix. And um, we're pretty much ready to go there. But then, um, um, let's see, Rainbow Gardens had a, is having a sale. And so I went over there and I bought their uh, beneficial nematodes. And I've never used them before. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I guess I was thinking I was going to see a bunch of worms. And it's this little um, refrigerated <laughs> sponge that yeah. has this microscopic, um, who I guess, little worms in there. And... Um, I'm wondering now, maybe I jumped the gun. Um, I don't know when. I was going to just go ahead and shoot it into that garden um, before I actually plant anything, but I'm not sure if I need to wait until we actually put our vegetables in there. You're asking really good questions here, and I'm glad to know that Rainbow's carrying the proper nematodes because those ones on Little Blue Sponge are far better than the dry form. But we we use beneficial nematodes for, in effect, two purposes. We frequently use them for... Things like uh, grub worms, which are going to show up later in the season. Fleas, you can treat for any time with beneficial nematodes. But I like to put them in before I plant the garden in the spring because what they're going to knock out, what they're going to, and they don't actually eat, obviously they're tiny little things, but they parasitize and kill the larvae of grub worms, wire worms, a lot of different uh different larval stages of things that are problems in the garden over winter in the garden soil and that's what your beneficial nematodes take out 
by applying them at this time of year. Now, I don't know if they told you, but they only have a shelf life of about two weeks in the refrigerator. So go ahead and use them certainly within that time window. Um, if you're going to till, I probably would till first and then put your nematodes out immediately afterwards. The nematodes need to go into or they need to be watered in to moist soil because the little nematodes move in a film of water once they are in the soil once they have dispersed through the soil don't worry about uh you know doing a lot of watering if there's enough water to keep your plants alive there's enough to keep your nematodes alive but when you first start out you should give them a pretty thorough watering in but no i i always try to do this uh this is one time i do it preventatively rather than reacting to a potential problem i always put them out before i do my spring garden and my fall garden because it just knocks out the things that are going to damage the roots that are going to cause uh you know problems with potatoes and onions especially so yeah get them uh if your area is relatively small you can uh just put them out with a watering can uh, if it's a bigger area you'll soak that little sponge in you know some water for maybe five or ten minutes don't leave it in for a long time and take your thumb and just sort of squeeze and work that uh, sponge you'll see a little drop of goo right in the middle of it that's where all the nematodes are and then put them in your uh, hose in sprayer uh, if you hose in sprayer, it has something called an uptake tube that sticks down into that canister. It's what the material goes up through, and then it gets sprayed out. Many times, that will have a little filter on the end of it. You want to take your thumbnail and just pop that off. Now, this is not the filter where the hose hooks on. This is a filter that's on the end of the little uptake tube in your sprayer. Take that off so that your nematodes go through it more easily. But if, if it's a relatively small area, I just put them out with a watering can. Okay, that sounds wonderful. And you also get, um, it'll I, take care of termites and fire ants and all sorts of other things you'd like to take care of at the same time. Oh, I'm going to probably go back and pick some more up. Um Thank you. And I have one more question. We have, um, um, well, we have beekeepers actually all around us here in Bulberti. And yeah. um, I've I done pretty well with getting flowering plants that the bees like and the deer will stay away from for the most part. But um, I went ahead. I had forgotten. Um, I used to just raise zinnias, and they were so easy, and mm-hmm. marigolds. I went ahead and just picked up tons of different seeds. And um, wondering if I can go ahead and... I know they're kind of hard to transplant, so I was wondering if I could just go ahead and put them out in our other gardens now, the seeds, or should I go ahead and wait like most seeds until after... I would, if you don't want to raise the little transplants, and they actually transplant fairly easily, I'll tell you about that in just a second, but uh, they are going to sprout and come up with the first warm days, but zinnias and marigolds both are very frost sensitive, so I'd be waiting a couple of weeks before I direct seeded into the ground, but if you want to make little transplants, uh, it's really very easy to do. You can, it, I mean, it can be as simple as taking an egg carton, bunch of little holes in the bottom of each one of those little cells, fill it with soil, mm-hmm. and just start your seeds in there. And then you can grow up a little transplant and, you know, just pop it out of the egg crate and stick it down in the soil. They're really pretty easy to to plant transplants that way, but it's certainly cheaper. And you can do a bigger area, you know, from seed, but uh, I, I think it's a little bit early to be putting your seed out. Okay, sounds great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your one, time. One more thing, if you want a an expanded learning opportunity, not today, but next Saturday uh, is when I do uh, our vegetable garden seminar. 
945, uh, we do them at Shades of Green, and that's like two blocks off of uh, – out of, off of 281 so we're not very far away from you but uh that'll be next saturday starts at 9:45, free charge you don't register you don't do anything except show up the coffee's on by nine but if you want a a good lesson in a lot of different things like this just love to have you come over and join us we'll be there thank you so much bob you're welcome sue thank you and goodbye mm, bye-bye all right, yeah, and today's today's lecture is all about weeds and fertilizers and compost and uh, compost tea and uh, many different things you might be interested in. Love to have you come join us for that as well. But next Saturday's when we when we're going to do our vegetable seminar. Uh, Kevin's up next. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing good. We're looking good. forward to seeing you at your seminar today. <laughs> I look forward to <laughs> to uh, to telling the truth about weeds. How's that? Oh, good. Yeah, that's always good. Um, I've just got a couple of quick questions uh, on on uh, plant recommendations. Uh, on my house um, that faces northwest, mm-hmm. uh, just right in front of it, the builder planted a, a shrub. I, I would guess it's just boxwood. I, I don't know. Um, just an evergreen shrub in front of my front window. And uh, it's it's just kind of boring. And I was thinking about swapping it out with something else that would be evergreen okay. there. And um, so it gets the morning sun, but it, there is an oak tree there that shades it some. And then once the sun gets behind the house, it, it's shaded. Okay. So pretty, pretty shaded. But as far as uh, evergreens that you like uh, for a shrub? Um, how, how tall do you want it to grow? Four feet. Okay. If you want something with a little more color, um, there are some compact laurapetalums. Uh, the common name is Chinese fringe flower, purple leaves and pink flowers this time of year uh, that will do very well in that amount of light. Um, it's. I wish you had a little bit more sun. The thing you have to remember is that most evergreen plants, if they're going to flower, they have a relatively brief flower period. So if it were mine, and if, I mean, if they planted a good variety of boxwood, um, if it happens to be baby gem or baby jade, then those aren't really bad. You can do better by planting something colorful in front of them, and there are some, you know, perennial uh, flowering plants. Some of the different salvias, salvia coccinia, the so-called smooth leaf sage, the eyelash sage, all of these things would grow there. Plumbago would grow and bloom wonderfully but these are all things that if we get a, a hard freeze are going to freeze back so i love doing like a two layer effect something taller and dark green behind and then something flowering in front shrimp plants another these things will bloom eight or ten months out of the year but as far as the evergreen shrubs uh, another possible candidate would be compact nandina uh, has a reddish green leaf it will have red berries in the fall and winter months and if it gets more sun, the leaves can turn in a brilliant fiery orange red through the winter months, and then they turn green again in the spring. Um, another possible shrub would be dwarf um, Burford holly. It grows to about four feet. Standard Burford grows about 10 or 12, so by comparison, four or five feet is what the dwarf is going to do. It's going to have red berries and a very dark green glossy leaf, and it would be another uh, potential candidate for that 
area. Though those are going to be some of my favorites. I don't think you have enough light for uh, for oh, things like spirea, which would bloom in the spring, or some of the different abelias, um, which would also be a great choice. But th- those pretty much need afternoon sun. But if you want a green flowering shrub, the one that comes to mind first is the Chinese fringe flower Laura Petalum. They're in bloom now. They have a pink. Some of the newer varieties have an almost red flower, which is uh, quite showy against those purple leaves. Okay. Well, I just kind of want really a change. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, nothing wrong with the boxwood, but just well, try something my, else. Well, <laughs> you know, the one thing about a builder's plant is it's going to be cheap. Uh, you have to, right. They have to plant two trees, eight shrubs, and grass in the front yard if you're going to get a VA loan or some of the others. And so they're just going to stick in the cheapest, crappiest thing they can find. They probably planted boxwood. It's just, and there's nothing wrong with Japanese boxwood, but it is a full sun. There are some newer shade-tolerant boxwoods, like I say, Baby Jim, Baby Jade, some of those that would be a better plant. But I think you're wise to go ahead and uh, get rid of them now before they get really well established and put something in that pleases you more. Oh, good. Okay, and then I made a new bed in the backyard, so it's got the opposite condition. It's it's you know southeast, uh-huh. but once the but it's pretty it's pretty full sun back there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say about mid morning it starts getting full sun until the sun sets. Okay, and um, I'm trying to. I built a new bed and trying to pick my showpiece plant to put in there and just time right now all those knockouts are blooming and they're so pretty <laughs> but what what is your what is your thought on the knockouts i know we've planted an awful lot of them around town well knockouts are showy roses there's no doubt about it and they probably if you want to have the same thing everybody else has um, yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna find a rose that's going to give you a lot more blooms than that now there's some that i think are prettier i love a yellow rose called julia child there's sort of a smoky orangey pink rose called cinco de mayo um, there's a giant pink rose called belinda's dream there are a lot of i think more interesting roses there's a little dwarf dark dark red rose called martha gonzalez and these are all roses that are probably most of them at least to be grown on their own roots and i find them to be certainly hardier than the knockouts. Now, again, you're here in town, you got lots of water. If you plant knockouts, just be prepared to water the heck out of them because I find they take about three or four times as much water as most other roses do. And I did poorly with them in the hill country because I don't water that much. And uh, my the other varieties that I mentioned just thrive. But when I water my knockouts on the same schedule I was uh, watering the other roses, they just you know, really languished, and I eventually pulled them out because I didn't want to have to water that often. But if you're looking for show, uh, the knockouts are hard to beat. But now there are lots of other things you can plant there, and the list is long. There are many colors of lantana. There are many colors of salvia gregii. There are some other tall salvias, mystic spires, indigo spires. Uh, There are, gosh, some new dwarf forms of esperanza that bloom six, eight, ten months out of the year. There's a beautiful yellow flowering shrub called thryalis. you know, again, if you ever buy our nursery, we've got all this written down for you. You give a long list to choose from, but uh, whereas your list is limited out front, you're going to have to work at narrowing it down to the things you like best. 
you know, in that in that bed out back. And don't don't hesitate to put some uh, of the annuals around the front of it. There's some incredible new dwarf zinnias out there. There's one of the prettiest periwinkles I've ever seen uh, that'll be out this year from Ball Seed uh, called Tattoo, T-A-T-O-O. And those things, I mean, if you're driving down the street, you'll run off the road trying to figure out what it is. They're so showy. So, yeah, lots and lots of options out there. So plan carefully. Oh, very good. All right. Oh, it gets me excited. Okay, and then the last question. Um, my dad and and we, I, I don't know. What we have planned next weekend. I know you're talking vegetable garden uh, next week. Um, well, you're talking about weeds today, but mm-hmm. his garden down at our our shop. He's got a big garden, and uh, we're, he's slowly coming all the way around to organic. I love it. And um, <laughs> good. But right right now, it's it's completely weeded over. Uh-huh. I mean, totally weeded over. And in years past, he'd go out and kill all that with Roundup. And then start planting his uh, tomatoes and everything else that he he wanted to plant. And so this year he said, "Well, Kevin, what do I do about all these? I mean, it's it's a jungle of weeds right now." Well, if you want to use uh, something that looks just that works just like Roundup, just use your vinegar orange oil mix. Yeah, I just get out there with a push pull hole because I figure you know it's it's good exercise and uh, um, I, I find it just as effective. And uh, but if he wants to spray something to kill it all off. Uh, orange oil and vinegar will work exactly the same as Roundup with none of the residue and none of the dangers. I mean, they're mostly broadleafs and stuff. Yeah. I, I told him he can just knock them all back real hard mm-hmm. with, with his big string trimmer thing he's got. Yeah. And I mean, you want to plant? Okay. That's that's what I'd probably do. And then you're kind of things are kind of moving away from tilling, right? That's kind of the latest. With... Yeah, well, you just bring up more weed seeds. You bring yeah. your organic material up to the surface. There are a lot of reasons that no-till works better, but it's not a cardinal sin. You know, it's not the worst possible thing you could do. But um, I, that that's another option, but just be aware you're bringing up weed seeds that are going to germinate and grow, so you're not really solving the problem. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, Bob, thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you at 945. We'll look forward to it. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Um,